Hello and welcome to the February 28th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It's great to be with you tonight. And I have to say that uh, things have been pretty good for me. Um, How do I begin? Well, I have a plan uh, for this podcast. I think it's important. I've had a few recommendations, uh, actually uh, private direct messages uh, sent to me via... Twitter, uh, and a couple of people have asked me to to concentrate and do an Opiates 101 podcast, so that is what we are going to do tonight. Um, opiates, by far, without question, have probably been um, the most devastating drug that I ever come in contact with. Uh, and here I am on a, on a drug, what I would call medication assistment, assistance treatment, medication assisted uh, MAT. What does it stand for? Medication assisted treatment. Uh, I believe that's what it is. Well, that's the Suboxone, whatever it may be. So you know, Suboxone, which is an opioid antagonist. Uh, you know, there's opiate properties in it, and this is going to be pure hell coming off of. I could already tell that it's not going to be an easy ride. But the good news is that as of Tuesday, for those of you who are, understand opiates and understand Suboxone, those of you who do not, I, I advise you, go back to Suboxone 101, because it's all related. They're all related. It's all related to our mental health. It really is. And most bipolar people, not all, most that I've come in contact with have had some kind of a substance abuse problem. We are all vulnerable to that substance abuse issue, whether it be alcohol, whether it be marijuana, whether it be cocaine, whether it be heroin or opiates, whatever it may be. Opiates, obviously, um, in the same family as heroin, heroin being an opiate. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the stuff that I was abusing and snorting, the Oxycontin, was just as dangerous. You know, there there was no garbage, so to speak, like you will find in heroin uh, nowadays. With opiates, it was a man-made drug, and whatever milligrams you were getting your hands on, you knew damn well what you were either ingesting down your mouth, into your stomach, or snorting up your nose. And as the drug addiction became worse and you needed more, you went up in milligrams and you made sure that you fed that addiction. Now, Suboxone, I'm proud to say, here's where we're at, just so you can get a quick update on where I am, that on Tuesday of next week, I don't know the exact date, but Tuesday, well, Monday, sorry, Monday will be my last day at around .40, maybe a .45, and as of Tuesday, I will be cutting down to .25, 
which is really exciting. It's, it's, it's scary as all hell, but it's really exciting. Um, and I had asked my wife, actually just a couple of minutes ago, I had my Suboxone in a little, uh, one of those little pill cases, and I actually showed my wife, and I, I opened up the Monday pill cover uh, for next week, and I said, well, here's the last day. It's either this or I'm going to extend this current dosage for the next eight days. And she says to me, well, why would you do that? Why don't you just go for it? And she's probably right. And I said to her, the reason why I wouldn't go for it is because my body's been through a hell of a lot over the last couple of months. And I just don't know if I'm ready to dip down into that Suboxone depression again. So I will definitely keep you posted and let you know what the final plan is. But it is very possible that I extend it extend that 0.45 for another eight days or you know I may be coming on here in a couple of days and telling you that I'm going for it and that plan may change I don't know uh, but hopefully by Tuesday of next week I'll have a definite answer for you uh, so that's the good thing now current state of mind mania <laughs> that's where we are at uh, not in a bad way but we are manic we are manic and it's in a sense where a lot of pressured speech, a lot of pressured speech. Uh, talking up a storm today at work. I actually have a co-worker who just started recently. Um, and it's very hard to hide my bipolar disorder in this particular office because I'm very close with the two co-workers that I am with, one of them being my direct supervisor who happens to be best friends with my wife and the other one who has kind of um, you know, become a very close friend of ours. We all took a trip together, a couple of trips together this year. We go away on business together. We're just real, real close, real tight. We kind of know everything about one another. I mean, they even know I'm on Suboxone. They know about my bipolar disorder. So we kind of open open up about things very freely in the office. And this new um, worker who happens to be there, she's our clerical assistant. Uh, and... You know, I don't ask her to do anything, to be honest with you. Every day she says, what can I do for you? And I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't like being, you know, I, I watch these other two who I, I, I adore them, but I, I see them, oh, make me a copy. Go do this. Bring this for me. You know, I just don't have it in me. I don't have it in me. I, I can't, can't do it. So what I do do, though, is because, uh, you know, I've openly talked about my bipolar disorder. And I'm not about to stop talking about it just because this woman has now entered into the office. I have made it a point that, no, I am not going to get on the loudspeaker at my company and say, hello, everybody, uh, Mr. Joe has bipolar disorder, uh, but I do trust in these people in the office enough where I know they won't say anything, and I, I openly talk about it. One, because my supervisor's husband undoubtedly has bipolar disorder, so I help her, and I, I think I may have shared with everybody else that Mr. Joe is the department psychiatrist or psychologist therapist, so to speak. I was even labeled as that today when I had two disgruntled employees come into my office just to kind of, um, you know, give me their sob story, so to speak. And then I kind of, you know, I listen and I advise and that's what I do. But this new worker, one of the things that we've uh, discovered is she's recently divorced and she has a quote unquote new friend. Um, you know, I think it might be more of a romantic relationship, but she has discovered that he is bipolar, and mainly because he shared it with her. And she finds it fascinating that before she can complete any story 
I can complete it for her. <laughs> so she's amazed, amazed by it. And it's almost like I'm like this magic genie or fortune teller who can tell her his next move. And, uh, you know, she actually asked me today, she said, how do I approach this? I, I, I think he's off. He's not medicated. And she wants to help him. And here's the advice I gave. Uh, and I know because I know where I was at in the past when I was not medicated. I was not medicated from the years 2011 up until this January. That's a long, long time to go with this disorder unmedicated. Uh, and, you know, again, I wasn't abusing any drugs other than marijuana. That was my drug of choice during these past few years to help me stabilize my moods up until it completely stopped working. And, um, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. And that's when I went on medication. And I will never, ever turn back. Never. Because I was still, no matter whether I was smoking marijuana or not, I was definitely not in my right state of mind. Uh, now, what I advise this woman to do is, I, again, I know how I felt when I was unmedicated. So people really couldn't talk to me about anything. They wanted to tell me uh, what to do with my life. I would tell them they were crazy. I would tell them they were the ones that were sick. I didn't have an illness. No, uh, you're sick, not me. So uh, the good news is I, I told her to lay off. I said, don't invade his space because I'm fearful that you might push him away a little bit more. However, the good news is there are times when he will openly start to discuss things with her. And I said, that is your in. That is when you kindly and carefully tread water with him and start to you know, provide him with some of your input. So that's the advice I gave her today. As you know, last week I was in three horrific days of depression. And again, we have shifted to somewhat of a manic state of mind. I will tell you now that my conversation with this new worker today was based on all bipolar talking about her little quote-unquote friend. And there were times where I thought her head was spinning. And I checked in with her and I said, am I driving you bananas right now because I'm talking so much? And thank goodness, she said, she goes, I actually have found this to be one of the most interesting conversations that I've ever had with anybody. Um, and then, you know, other people came in and that's when I started providing my quote-unquote therapy. And even with them, you know, I... I I had to check in, and I said, am I talking a little bit too fast? <laughs> you know, and um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very well aware of things, which is really, really great. Uh, two other things I wanted to share about my personal life was the fact that I wrote to my doctor today, and we decided that as of this Friday, we'll be going up to 125 milligrams of Lamictal, because I'm not there yet. Um, I did get some advice on the situation that took place with my wife uh, based on my last podcast, and I got some really good feedback. Uh, people basically told me that, that, you know, just because I have a mental illness does not mean that I am wrong all the time, and, you know, it's, it's not something that defines me, and I thought that was great advice. I really do. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to pull this email up and, and read this to you because I just, again, I thought it was great. Hi, Mr. Joe. After listening to your most recent podcast, you were requesting feedback on the incident that transpired between you and your wife. All I could say is this. 
I feel that although you are diagnosed with a mental illness that does not affect your every aspect of your life on a daily basis, you need to trust. Trust in yourself, trust in your medication, and trust that you are not quote-unquote crazy as you stated, and your feelings need to be validated and accepted. Take this experience and reflect and learn from it. There will be many more obstacles in your life you will have to face, and unfortunately, having a mental illness makes it that more challenging. But remember, you are proactive in managing your mental health, and you are always trying your best. I hope there has been a peaceful resolution between you and your wife. God bless, and looking forward to the next podcast. Uh, and, and I will keep that uh, email anonymous because, um, you know, unless the user asks that I share the name, I do not. And, and I want to stress that to everybody who reaches out to me, unless you tell me to uh, expose your name, whether it be first, last name, I will always keep your emails anonymous. But that was one of the most powerful emails that I've gotten in a very, very long time. Um, so I wanted to share that with you guys. Another great piece of information, and you know, I'm sorry, I am going to get to the opiates, I promise you. Um, I got some really awesome news today. Now, in my very, very first episode, Autism 101, I shared a story with everybody about my nose being broken on the very first day of the job. And I don't recall whether or not, and forgive me for this, because one of the things that I'm learning with bipolar disorder is my memory is absolutely shot. It's really sad. I mean, to the point where, you know, my wife told me the temperature to put dinner on tonight to heat it up in the oven, and I must have asked her six times. I mean, you know, while she was out at work and I had little Nikki, and, you know, I, I mean, my God, I just kept asking her and texting her and calling her and, you know, what was the temperature? So my, my brain is absolutely shot. Um, so I don't recall if I shared this other bit of information with you, but aside from getting my nose broken, I had a horrible experience in, in with a rather large student, uh, probably around the age of 16 or 17. It was a female student, and I actually was not on work schedule that particular day and I went to visit my place of employment and to make a long story short there was a, a pretty serious crisis that took place and although I had my children with me you know, my, my place of employment said you got to help us we, we need you so I ran to the second floor no the third floor of the building and uh, my goodness yes it was it was quite an incident that took place and in in helping uh, control this rather large child slash adult with autism. Uh, I would say she was probably close to 300 pounds. She uh, not only bit me, which required a tetanus shot because I hadn't got one in a very long time, she headbutted me forward, uh, meaning that she was kind of underneath my chin and I was looking down and she brought her head up and she hit me in the mouth. And I have had some really shaky kind of root canal that had been done about five years prior that really just never felt right after it was done on my front tooth. Well, this headbutt to my front tooth sent me off into another land, so to speak. And I later found out after visiting the dentist just a few days later that my tooth had cracked all the way up top. And one of the most difficult things 
especially somebody who is quite, I, I, quite vain, okay, to say the least, for most of my life. And that has gone away. As my illness has progressed, I mean, there were times, my God, that I remember going to work and not even showering. If I was in depression mode, I mean, I didn't care. I didn't care what my hair looked like. You know, and this is a person who took very, very good care of themselves. But as my illness progressed and as I continuously did not take care of myself, I remember there are times where, you know, I would go to work and there would be days that I didn't shower. I mean, really, literally days, and I would just struggle to get through. But um, at this particular time in my life, I'd say it was about four or five years ago that this took place. And I kind of let it go after that tooth was broken. And, and I have to tell you, basically what ended up happening was I would get an abscess and I kept letting it go and getting it go. Because when a tooth is cracked, you get an abscess. And because I was just so scared to get this done, I put it off and put it off. Well, eventually I had the tooth pulled. And when you care anything about your appearance, one of the hardest things to look at in the mirror is having a mouthful of teeth and then one day waking up and having no tooth in the front. And uh, that is what happened to me. And uh, what had happened was I had the tooth pulled. I had a bone graft immediately done afterwards. I had a flipper tooth made. And, you know, I still have the flipper tooth as of today, and I'll tell you why. Only three months after I had the bone graft, I was called back in from the oral surgeon, and they placed the screw for the implant into my mouth only three months after the bone graft took place. Well, right around Christmas time, not this past Christmas, but the Christmas before, so I guess it would be 2016, I had had the screw placed in November. About a week before Christmas of 2016, um, the screw had already become loose. I went to the dentist. I was praying that it was, there's a little abutment, that was on, on the edge of the screw that eventually holds the permanent tooth into place. And I was praying to God that it was just the abutment that had come loose, but I knew something wasn't right. And sure as anything, I sat in the dental chair and the dentist just went whoop and pulled the screw right out of the socket. And I said, well, I am never going to have a, uh, a screw. I'm never going to have an implant. I am going to have a... Um, a flipper tooth for the rest of my life. I'll be hiding my eating habits because I still do. I got to be honest with you guys. I do, you know, I'm in my office and I'll tell my, tell my coworkers, you know, because I could joke with them. Nobody talk to me. I'm taking my flipper out. Um, and I will do that, you know, but I can't eat with it. So it's a nightmare, especially when I go out, um, you know, to really important business trips and I'm with thousands of people, and, you know, we eat dinner and, and lunches. It's, it's horrible. You know, i got to take this thing out. It's kind of like I cough into my hand, then I stick it into the case, and then I don't look at anybody while I'm eating. And I've been doing that for two years. Nevertheless, what had happened was three months after the, the implant failed, and they owned, they owned it. They owned the fact that they said at the time I looked like a very healthy young man, big and strong, and they thought that my gum or my bone could handle it, and clearly it could not. So about a week before Christmas, I actually cried in the dentist chair. That's what, I mean, I don't know if it's bipolar, if it's just my emotions that get the best of me. You know, we, we, we overreact to some things. <laughs> I will say bipolar, people with bipolar. Not that other people that don't have bipolar don't overreact to things, but we definitely overreact. And, 
Now looking back, I probably overacted a little bit. I did cry in front of the uh, dentist, and he said, don't, don't worry about it. We're going to do another bone graft, and we'll try again. And to be honest, I think I cried more because I thought I was going to be responsible for the astronomical amount of money that I had spent on it, but I was happy to find out that it was completely covered and on them because it was their quote-unquote error. So this time around, um, we... I actually, you know, I had the bone graft, and I went back about six months, actually about five months later, to get a check on the bone graft and see if we were ready for the screw. And to my pleasant surprise, the the oral surgeon said, you know what, took an x-ray, based on what happened last time, I'd like to let you heal a little bit longer. Uh, and, and again, this is probably about, whew, I'd say about seven months ago at this point. Uh, maybe, yeah, about seven months ago. Um, so, uh, no, about eight months ago. And, no, well, that's about seven months ago. Well, it doesn't matter. About a half a year ago, let's put it that way. So, finally, I waited another month, and I said, well, you know what? I think you healed now. So, it took about six or seven months for it to heal. He implanted the screw. And today, I went in five months later, so I've had the screw in now for five months, um, so that's the right time, okay? So today is five months that I've had the screw in for the second time, and I sat down, and, you know, he took a look, and I've been in no pain whatsoever, and he was, he looks at me, and he said, listen, he goes, I would bet my life on it that um, we're good to go. And the next st- stages, by the way, they have to, he he planted this, this time around, he buried the screw in my gum, so it's not exposed at all. So the next and final step is he cuts me open, and he puts the abutment on, which eventually has a permanent tooth attached to it. So that's the last and final step, and he says to me today, I would almost guarantee with my life that if I did this last final step, you would be fine, and I could send you out of here today. And you can go get the permanent tooth made from your regular dentist, and you'd be good to go. He said, but the textbook says that it should be six months, so I'd like to see you again. And I'm not, I'm okay with it, guys. <laughs> I don't want to take any chances. I'm not going through this anymore. But I was so elated to hear that in exactly one month, I am going to have this final surger, surgical step done to my mouth. And then just a few days later, I'll be able to schedule an appointment. And I will be getting my mold done and getting that permanent tooth put in my front. And I am so excited to have my front tooth back. I cannot begin to tell you guys. So please share in that joyous moment with me. I hope you do. And I hope you kind of understand. I hope I didn't overreact to this because, man, oh, man, it was not an easy road. Um, you know, for not, not even for purposes of of me being embarrassed of of or being embarrassed looking in the mirror with myself just around other people it's been rough with the with the eating so with that being said let us uh discuss opiates and just a quick recap of what had happened with me and why i started opiates we're going to call my friend albert okay albert albert had approached me very short time after i had left the uh hospital And for those of you who have not heard my previous podcast, you will know that there was a time in my life where I abused cocaine a great deal and eventually uh, led to a suicide attempt in which my ex-wife cut me down off a rope 
and I was immediately put into a hospital, taken right away because they saw the burn marks on my neck, the rope burn marks, and um, at that time I was put into a hospital. I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 because I had gone in quote-unquote depressed, which was clearly the wrong diagnosis. I do not have bipolar 2. The reason why I went in depressed is because I had just stopped doing cocaine uh, probably two and a half grams of cocaine along with drinking a bottle of vodka, about 24 beers, and probably two bottles of wine. So anybody who comes off that is probably going to be depressed, let alone the fact they had to inject me with God knows what to stop me from my manic rage of when I walked in. I walked in like an absolute lunatic into that hospital um, when they had me in a waiting room. I, tr I, I mean, I, re I recall trying to bang my head against the wall them having to restrain me there. I remember screaming and yelling, begging for something to eat, and then finally giving me something, and then trying to slit my wrists with a plastic knife, and they had to run in and take that away. Um, and I was just such a wild animal, for real. I mean, when I first went into that hospital, that they had to sedate me, and I probably slept for like one or two days straight. And when I had woke, you know, I was still kind of groggy, and they, they said I was now depressed, um, so they labeled me with bipolar too. Anyway, I'm not going to get into the hospital right now. Maybe we'll do a, and I know I have shared the hospital story, uh, briefly, but I think I want to give you guys a nice 15 day discussion of, because I was in there for 15 days in a mental institution and maybe what I will do, uh, or a psych ward or whatever you want to call it. Um, and there were tw twice that I had, uh, gone into one and maybe I'll make a combo, um, episode where I'll discuss the first and the second time because they were both drastically different experiences. I think we'll do a podcast on that as well. But anyway, um, I was I was prescribed at the time Lexapro, Abilify, uh, Trazodone, that, that first experience, and I came out. And when I came out of the hospital, I was worse than when I came in. I had spent thousands of dollars on those medications because I did not have insurance coverage. Um, and I was not able to take them for a single day longer than two days after the hospital because the side effects were so horrific. That's one of the problems with those medications and being in a hospital for only 15 days. With me, the side effects didn't kick in until the very last day, and I knew something was wrong when I left that hospital. I knew it because I felt great. And really what I felt was just recovering from the cocaine and the alcohol. And, you know, I was no longer feeling the effects of the hangover. So the medicine had not really kicked in yet. And around day 15, when I was ready to leave, I remember having a raging experience right before I left too. And the nurse grabbing me and saying, this is the type of SHIT that keeps you here. And, and, I, and I just couldn't control myself. And then I came out and I wasted all that money. Um... And I had to come off everything immediately, which later ended up uh, me going on Depakote. And ultimately, uh, with the Depakote, well, I'm sorry, before I went on the Depakote, I ended up coming off all that medication, telling the doctor I needed to come off. He stopped me. He advised me to go to some AA or NA meetings. And then a short while after, maybe a week, I was abusing cocaine again. So I went to him again stopped the cocaine and my clean date was February 24th of 2005 and I had gone on the Depakote and then a short time after that when I had finally had the nerve to invite some of my friends over Albert came over 
and I told him about my experience and how I had missed the cocaine, but I refused to use it again, and you know, I was struggling, and I really wasn't crazy about the Depakote and all this stuff, and he kind of led me over to my cabinet, and I'll never forget, we were in my kitchen in my old house with my ex-wife, not a lot of good memories at that house, but and and I will tell you this was not one either, because at this time is when he took me over to the very left-hand side of my kitchen cabinet, and I still remember, it was right to the left of the stove, up top, where all the medicine was, and he said, what do you got in here? He goes, I guarantee you got something in here, and little did I know, you know, I had dental surgery a few times, you get dentist dentistry done, and you got, you got Vicodins in your cabinet. And he said, take these. He goes, I guarantee you'll feel better. He goes, but just take one. And when you are an addict, you don't listen to those things. <laughs> you know, just take one. Well, I did at first. I took one, chewed one up, because he told me to chew it, which I thought was very odd, but I did anyway. I started to chew it, and he left. And as soon as he left, I started to feel a little bit of a buzz, and I said, what the heck? I'm taking another one. Chewed another one, and I felt real good. To the point where, you know, it was euphoria. And I do remember actually calling Albert and saying to him, Albert, you know, um, I feel really itchy. He said, well, goes, you shouldn't feel that off one. And I said, well, I took two. He goes, well, I told you to take one. For a long time, Albert played the role as if he was on my side. Um, he said and did all the right things. Told me to take breaks told me that as long as I would do them for, let's say, a few days and then quit for two weeks and then maybe did it again, he said, as long as I did not get hooked in a way where I started doing it every day, uh, I would be okay. And I remember having that phone conversation with him while I was driving. And when he had told me that, you know, it kind of gave me the power to feel as if I was invincible, and that, you know, I could do this, I, you know, what's the big deal, I've been on it two, three days, maybe I'll do it another day, four days, my buddy said, as long as I quit after four or five days, then take a couple of weeks off, I'll be fine, and believe me when I tell you that I tried, day four would come, and I would say, well, it's time to take that break, and I would go a day, and I would find myself pulled over on whatever expressway I was on on Mr. Joe's, in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. And I actually remember pulling over on an expressway onto the service road, getting out of my car, and sitting on the side of the road and crying with my hands in my, in my, my eyes in my hands because I felt so horrible and I didn't understand why. I didn't really understand the mental and physical addiction of opiates at this point in time. So what my brain told me to do was I had to find more. And this, guys, this is when, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you need a telltale sign as to whether or not you have an opiate problem or a pill addiction, if you are looking in other people's medicine cabinets, you have a problem, okay? And I'm ashamed to admit it, and I'm ashamed to say it, but there were thousands of cabinets that I raided. Sometimes I found stuff, sometimes I didn't. Most of the time what I would do is just look for a label that said, you know, this causes drowsiness. Um, you know, I would try to recall or remember the name of the drug so that what I would do is run home and I would 
look it up in the internet. Now, remember, guys, this was 2007. It's a long time ago. We're talking over 10 years at this point. So internet was not exactly what it was back then. I don't think we were in the dial-up days at this point, thank goodness. Uh, maybe in the 3G days. Um, and, and, you know, I would look it up and I would say, okay, Darvaset. Well, it's an opiate or whatever, whatever it might be. I don't even know if that is one. I just kind of recall that being one. Oh, it's in the family. It's going to make me feel good. A lot of time. I mean, I remember, I honestly remember swigging cough medicine because it had codeine in it. That's what I remember doing. And I remember feeling so, so, so depressed to the point where, and I remember this one day, and man, did I put my sister on a spot because I remember being in my backyard and I had, um, I, I believe I had swigged the codeine and it didn't do it for me and it actually made me real depressed. And I think I told my sister to come on over because I had a toothache and asked her if she had anything. And at this point, she had no idea that I had any kind of a problem. And she gave it to me. And guess what? That leads me to story number two of the hospital because I ended up in a hospital that very day or maybe the next day. And again, I'll save that for another podcast, okay? Because I got so depressed once I came off it. And here is the ironic thing. When I went to that hospital, and I'm going to save the details for you, what I will tell you is that I recall the nurse asking me, have you taken any drugs? And I was so naive about the fact that what I was doing was not a big deal because in my brain I was lying to myself and saying, well, I took something for a toothache. I didn't have a toothache, but I had lied to my sister, so I, I started to believe that I lied. You know, I believed my own lies at this point in time. So I didn't even, I legitimately told the nurse that I did not, it was a male nurse, that I did not take anything illegal because it was a prescription drug and I thought that it was fine. And I'll, I'll tell you in the next story, in the next hospital story, what ended up happening because of that. Um, but, you know, that's how, that's how much we fool our brains. I mean, that's crazy. And I will tell you this, that it started out with Vicodins. It started out with Vicodins and, you know, raiding some of the cabinets, finding whatever I could get my hands on, and mostly swallowing pills. But you have to remember that in the beginning, that was good enough for me. I was a snorter. And my buddy Albert, well, let me tell you something here. He is not only the one that that uh, he showed me Vicodins, he also was the one who put me in a car. And I will never forget my, um, let's call him Anteater, okay? Anteater, his, he had a party, he had a pool party. And I'll never forget Anteater's pool, pool party. Um, my, my friend Albert took me out of Anteater's pool party and he said, come with me. You know, drive me. We're going to go score some Oxycontin. I said, what the heck is this Oxycontin? And he said, we're going to do snorties. <laughs> okay. So we, we bought this Oxycontin. I think he even, you know, because I drove him, he bought it. Maybe I gave him a couple of bucks. And at that point in time, that's when he introduced me to the wonderful uh, pool, you know, um, filter. And I think I described that in my Suboxone. Uh, episode where I, um, uh, what do you call that? It's like a collar that you, uh, a clamp, a clamp, a pool clamp, a filter clamp. 
just a clamp, a silver clamp, has these raised edges in it, and he would scratch the pill up against it, and we would do, as he would call them, snorties. And from that moment on, I continuously snorted Oxycontin for a period of six months. And it, what's the horrible thing is, I don't know a whole lot about this, guys, but there were these things called blues and yellows and this and that. And if I couldn't get my hands on certain things, I remember, you know, my, my buddy Albert, he gave me his direct drug connection. And I remember one day me asking for the pill that I like to snort. And he didn't have that. He said, well, I got the blues. I don't know if they were 15 milligrams. I don't know what they were. But he had mis he had not informed me that this particular one was not a snortable kind. And oh my goodness, I remember being, it was, I did it before work. I was in a daycare center, which is just disgusting, okay? Actually working with a little boy who was a product of heroin abuse. He, he was born addicted to drugs. And I remember, you know, listen, I did my job and I did it well. But to be honest with you, when you're high as a kite and on OxyCon, you got all the confidence in the world and you do you do your job well. Um, or at least you think you are. You know, I probably looked like a, a damn crackhead to everybody else. But this particular day, I was not good because I snorted something that apparently was not supposed to be snorted. It was supposed to be swallowed. And I got so deathly sick from this drug and who do I call Albert and he says well the only way to fix that is counteract it and snort the stuff that you always snort and before you knew it I was getting I believe it was called a big dog I mean guys we're talking 10 years ago okay and more you know more um, you know more than that who whatever 2007 so you know before that I was you know that's my clean date so uh, before that you know, that's when I was doing this. And, um, you know, I ran and, you know, dropped 60 bucks like it was nobody's business. Maybe even $80. I think it was $80. I was told it would last me a lifetime. Probably lasted me a day or two. And, um, you know, it's, 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 to be honest with you, it was probably part of the destruction of my career temporarily because there was a time guys where you know although I never got in trouble I was never caught I was never accused of anything uh, it, it caused so much so much depression you know I, I, I it, and I had already got myself back in the field after destroying myself from impulsivity from sexual encounters um, you know, things that I was doing because of my bipolar disorder, because I was clean temporarily. And that bipolar disorder, it, it did such a number on me in the sense where here I am now, um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm not medicated, or at least if I am medicated, I'm not doing it properly. So before I'm snorting Oxycontins, I'm acting impulsively because of my mania. And I'm, I'm unable to control my urges at work and I'm I'm acting out and I'm 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 having sexual encounters that I shouldn't be um, because that's what we do and just when I had gotten my stuff and my act together I I, I I nearly destroyed my life again because I started doing 
opiates. And, uh, you know, it's a scary, scary, scary thing. It really is. And again, ultimately, it led me to Suboxone. Um, and, you know, um, the reason why I really discovered Suboxone was not only because I was crawling nearly half dead in my parents' home, you know, reaching for a phone to try to call a Suboxone specialist, and ultimately, ultimately my ex-wife had found somebody, but that drug dealer that I had mentioned, that direct connection from my buddy Albert, there was one time when I remember, you know, Suboxone used to come. Right now, it's it's always been in a sublingual format. Just I, I don't think I've ever shared that with you guys. All this time, for those of you who don't know Suboxone, you put it under your tongue. And it's a little film strip, almost like a uh, one of those breath things that you put under your tongue. Uh, tastes a little orangey. But there was a time where it was a pill format. And I remember that I was so down and out, I couldn't get opiates, and the direct drug connection actually had given me a little piece of that pill. Um, and again, I didn't know a whole lot about anything that I was doing. I just know that, you know, kind of, it, it was kind of working. And um, it's a damn shame because, man, I remember being on that pill, and he only had to give me one. And I remember getting myself clean from that one little pill. I believe it was 15 milligrams or it was an 8 milligram pill. Yeah, 8 milligrams, I'm sorry, because they're all 8 milligrams. And I broke it up into little pieces and he told me how to do it. And I probably took it for about four or five days and I stopped and I felt great. But it didn't matter because that only lasted a couple of weeks because the bipolar brain makes you do things that you don't want to do. And, you know, I got to a point where I was not in withdrawals anymore. I wasn't. You know, I went a couple of weeks at times, you know, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And, and really, if you want to look at it from the bipolar aspect, and I've shared this with you in the past, there are way too many times where the bipolar brain, when you know you got to turn left to go home, for some reason, there is something in your mind that triggers your brain and tells you to turn right and go see your drug at, drug dealer. And, you know, I'd be manic. Most of the times I was manic. Every time. I can't recall a time when I was depressed that I would reach for drugs. I was in mania mode. Whether you want to look back at the cocaine usage, okay? I had been clean probably for a month. Didn't do cocaine for a month, but then all of a sudden, the mania kicked in. And hypomania starts. You feel good, you feel good, and then all of a sudden, you come up a notch. And before you know it, you're pulling over on the way home from work into your nearest gas station. You make sure that you get the 12-pack of beer, and the next stop is your drug dealer's house because you can't wait to party because you're high already, and you want to get it just a notch higher. And that's the unfortunate thing. Let me say this to you. I don't preach a whole lot, okay? I certainly don't preach a whole lot. But if you are addicted to opiates, it is time now. I, I'm not even going to recommend, if you can come off it without going on Suboxone, and you can go through those horrific, horrible withdrawals and get help immediately, I would, I would recommend doing so, okay? I would recommend coming off, throwing your guts up, sweating it out, pooping all over the place, going through the horrible withdrawals that I went through a million times over, and getting yourself enrolled into a drug rehabilitation right away. 
if you want to live, okay, or you want to not ruin your life, or you can go the medication-assisted treatment option, um, and you get on Suboxone, but you don't do what Mr. Joe does. You don't stay on Suboxone for three years. You get yourself into a program. You get on medication-assisted treatment. You take your Suboxone. You get your life back in order. And the moment you get your life back in order, you start to taper down off that Suboxone. I don't care what the doctors say. I don't care because they're going to try to reel you in for as much money as possible. You get yourself on and you get yourself off and you stay in a program. That is the only way you're going to get better. You can't fight it without it. I'm going to tell you right now. Okay, When I went to family court for my ex-wife, my uh, public defending lawyer was absolutely convinced. I don't remember how, well, because children were involved, so I had to pee in a cup, so to speak. And he was absolutely convinced. And again, at this time, we're talking around 2010, 2011-ish. At this time, I was absolutely completely clean. Um... And he was absolutely convinced that I was going to pee in a cup and opiates were going to come up because that is all I used to see in the court system. I would look around. I would know exactly who was on heroin, who was on Suboxone, and he was convinced I was going to be one of those. And unfortunately, I peed in a cup and marijuana showed up, and that was enough for them to put me into a nine-month program. And let me tell you something, guys. It was probably the best nine months of my life. And I was coming off Suboxone at that time. Now, granted, it was misery because I went through that horrible 188-day withdrawal. But I could not have gotten through if I didn't have that support. That included groups three times a week where I was able to talk. And it included therapy, one-on-one therapy one time a week. And to this day, I, I more or less owe my life to that stuff. And I owe my life to my strength of never putting an opiate inside my body again. You know, fortunately, guys, if I go in for a surgery, something happens, that is not an option for me. You know, and that's what we have to understand. You know, when we are recovering addicts, ibuprofen is the only way to go. Tylenol and ibuprofen. That's it. That's, that's the card that I was dealt, and I'm okay with it. Those are the cards that I was dealt, and I'm okay with it. And you have to be okay with it, too, if you want to get better. If you are struggling with a drug addiction, I urge you to reach out to me. I could provide you with resources depending on where you live, um, especially if you live in the United States. I am starting to realize that there are people all over the world that are listening to me, and I am grateful for that. And I could probably even point you in the right direction if you're in the UK. Okay, so you don't know where I'm from. You don't know where Mr. Joe's neighborhood is. Reach out to me if you need to. Mr. Joe... BP at yahoo.com. Okay, if you need to talk about anything, you know where to find me. Find me on Twitter, Mr. Bipolar Joe. That's my handle, Mr. Joe BP at yahoo.com. Thanks again, guys, for listening. You have an awesome night. This was Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast, and I am signing off for this evening. Thank you again. I was told I